Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. Let's get settled in. And a word of prayer to begin, all right? All right, happy church, it's time to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, now we like to pause before we open your word and we ask, Father God, that you would help us, Lord, by um, quieting our hearts with your Holy Spirit and settling us with your love, Lord. Uh, Help us to cast our cares aside uh, so that we can hear what your Spirit is saying uh, to your church and to us as individuals, Lord. Comfort our hearts and, and guide us with your truth, Lord. We pray for Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Recently, just recently, even this last week, it's been more and more uh, difficult and uh, more difficult than usual to listen to the nightly news. You know, it's filled with all sorts of evil, and I don't know of a better way to describe it than that very strong term of evil. You know, wicked, oppressive dictators who are threatening millions of people with death and destruction. Entire nations are under threat. Ruthless jihadists who are popping up all over the world, wreaking havoc wherever they go. And there's demonized murderers even exploiting There are vicious crimes on Facebook and social media uh, with their unspeakable deeds. And we are bombarded by the news of evil and evildoers and their heinous deeds all around us, you know. But there is other news out there. It's called the good news. It's called the gospel. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. And the good news, which Jesus came to bring, as we've been seeing here in the Gospel of Mark, uh, really could be summed up by John in one sentence, which relates to what I'm talking about. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That is a quote from the Bible that says, In one sentence, Jesus' mission statement. Jesus appeared for the very purpose to destroy the work of the evil one. We're going to get to see a little bit of that gradual taking of ground that Jesus Uh, is doing here in the Gospels. We're going to get to see an example of that in one of the two scenarios we look at. Now, today's a little bit different. The two sections of Scripture that we look at here in Mark chapter 3, 
are some summary statements. This is a summary of Jesus ministering to crowds, and here's a summary of Jesus calling his 12 disciples, and we get the list, and we're going to go through that list and have a little fun and gain some insights there. But first, we look at the crux of Jesus and the heartbeat of his uh, ministry to the crowds. So we're picking up where we uh, left off. Let's take a look at that. Jesus withdrew, and that's important. We'll talk about why he did that. Jesus withdrew from, uh, with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they, when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the uh, people from crowding him. That word in the Greek means to be crushed. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And verse 11 says, whenever the evil spirits saw him, and here's what I was talking about earlier, whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. So this is the first section we're going to take a look at, Jesus and the crowds. Well, it's definitely not time for a serious confrontation between Jesus and the hostile opponents who are the Jewish leaders. Uh, we left off and we find out here it says Jesus withdraws from the main village of Capernaum where he had just healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And so that was a no-no from the the Jewish leader's point of view that uh, Jesus had done work of healing this man with a... um, withered hand, as the text says. And so the last thing that we read in verse 6, here we start in verse 7, verse 6 said, so the Pharisees who saw this gracious miracle and heard Jesus justify why he was doing what he was doing and why their interpretation was so off. And even in the midst of all of that goodness, they determined and plotted to put Jesus to death. And they went to the politicians called the Herodians. And there in verse 6, it says, the last thing was, and they, they, there was a conspiracy to kill Jesus. So then we have Jesus withdrew then. Why? Well, trust me, Jesus is not withdrawing because he's afraid of their threats. Jesus is in charge, and Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. So that isn't why he's withdrawing. It's all about timing for him. See, Jesus needs to be on that cross on a certain day. It's already been prophesied. In fact, before the foundation of the world, the Lamb of God was slain. And so this has been in the mind of God and set and predetermined. So It's not time to stir them up to do the deed yet. And so he withdraws because he's in charge and he's going to that cross on that day. And besides, it hasn't been yet 173,880 days yet. Why do I say that? 400 years earlier, 500 years earlier, Daniel made a prophecy recorded in Daniel chapter 9 that gives the exact 
day an, a mathematical prophetic equation called the 70-week prophecy where it says if you count from this date forward, and he names the date, and he says, if you count out those 483 years or whatever it comes down to, but you can do the days as well, those days go straight to the day of Passover on that year when Jesus is on the cross. So no, <laughs> he doesn't withdraw out of fear. He's not afraid to go. He, he, right before the cross, he says, well, the hour's here. And, and he says this out loud in John chapter 12. Should, should, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, of course not, he says. It is for this uh, cause. This, I came into this world for this very hour. This is why I'm here. And thunder happened, and it was really the voice of God. And God spoke. The Father spoke to God the Son and confirmed that very truth, that he was there on a mission to willingly lay down his life for the sins of the world. And so Jesus retreats down from, you know, downtown Capernaum, where we will be standing in this synagogue that we're talking about, or the remains in the building they built upon those ruins. And uh, then he moves down to the rural, more shore, the area of the shores of the lake there where he did a lot of his ministry and teaching. But his, his withdrawal doesn't separate him from the crowds, but it does show the sharp contrast between the hard-hearted leaders and the people who gladly heard him. So the, the, the spirit of this summary statement is to show you that we have no ordinary man with no ordinary message because it's attracting not just the Jews, but beyond Israel, people are coming from everywhere for a reason. This is a different man. This is a different message. And uh, that is the spirit of this. Now, why are there crowds wanting to stampede him and touch him? Because they're hearing things they've never heard before. Because guess what? God in a body. Colossians 2.9 says that Jesus is the, uh, the fullness of God poured into a human body. The God-man. Born of a woman, yes. A child is given but a, a, a child is born, but a son is also given. No earthly father conceived of the Holy Spirit. When those two things come together, you have a fully human being and you have fully God together. The God-man come to save the world. And so that is why he needs to get in a boat. And it says here in the text, they pushed out a little. And you'll read that about 11 times. Jesus likes to get in the boat. He uses it as a little pulpit area, put some distance between him and the crowds, and, and it makes sense. As you'll see in Israel, you can shout down at the bottom, it just echoes up because of the way the, the topography of the land is. It's just very well suited for uh, speaking and uh, sermonizing, and so that's what was going on, because they had heard of all that he was doing and saying. Here, <laughs> the privilege of getting to hear the audibly the voice of God, the second person of the Godhead who was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the word that was God was made flesh and dwelt among us. So there in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And so you've got God in all his fullness, unadulterated, unmitigated. This is God speaking with God's wisdom and God's humor. And, and God, God's even got a little sarcastic joke from time to time in there. And the people were so delighted to hear him. I, I'm thinking of one because uh, I used it for service. So that's why I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and so uh, there's one time where he says, you know, these Pharisees, he's always outing the religious, empty fakers for what they were, and the people loved that finally, you know. So he said, listen to you. Let me tell you about those Pharisees. They, they take so much trouble to try to uh, strain out a gnat. Now, let me explain what that means. The gnats that buds, buzz around were considered unclean. So if you ingested, God forbid, one of those gnats flies into your mouth, and you swallow it, you're defiled before God, right? This is how they thought, right? And Jesus would tell them, it's not about swallowing a little bug that makes you defiled. It's all those cuss words and all those terrible things you say and all the terrible things you think. That's what defiles a man. You don't get defiled because you swallow the gnat, right? So anyway, he says, listen, folks. The Pharisees, watch out for those hypocrites because they're straining out the gnat because uh, in all of their drinks. So make sure there's no gnat that gets in that tea or that coffee or that chai, whatever, right? And, and, and so they strain out the gnat, but they swallow a camel, right? Now, I, I, it's even funnier in Aramaic because, because in Aramaic, the word gnat and camel rhyme together. Right? So Jesus is hilarious. He's saying, he, he just has these ways of just, you know, putting people in their place and, and getting through to people. Not only that, I mean, he's saying, hey, if you put your faith in me, you've crossed out of death and judgment and into eternal life. That's John chapter 5, verse 21. That's a quote. Trust in me, you'll never be judged by God. You will not experience the wrath of God. You will go from death to life. And then he says, and if you think I'm exaggerating, Talitha Kum, he says to a young lady, young girl, 12 years old, who's been dead. And when they arrived, he says, let me in. I got to go see her. They said, she's dead. We don't need you anymore. And he said, she's not dead. She's sleeping. Okay, let me go in there. And, and they laughed at him. They said, well, you're crazy, man. You can go in, but there's a corpse. And he goes in and he says, little girl, I say to you, arise. And that dead girl sits up. And why does he do that? He says, because I just told everybody, if you put your faith in me, you'll cross out of death. You'll live forever. You have nothing to worry about with the grave. Anybody can say that. But not everybody can say, now show me a dead body and I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I can carry this through for you, all right? And I say to you, little girl, even though you're dead, come on, get up. Give your mama a hug. And that's exactly what happened. And everybody was astounded. And of course there's a stampede. 
You're, Jesus said to Peter, what's, hey, are you going to take off? You know, a lot of people are taking off. He said, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So if you put the words of eternal life with the deeds that only God can do, you put them together in one place and one time, you better get a boat <laughs> and go out a little ways because these people can't get enough of God. Of course, and so the, this is the understanding here. People are coming from the north. They're coming from the east. They're coming. They can't come from the west. Why not? It's water. <laughs> That's the only reason. But Pastor Adam has a cousin. <laughs> 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 and that's where you'll end up if you go with Pastor Abs. Uh, uh. So if you're listening by podcast, I'm sorry. You, you missed uh, something in the beginning. All right. So, so that's what's bringing everything together. And of course, there's this wonderful stampede. Can I just show you? I'm a maps guy. Can I just show you where they're all coming from? Uh, Israel, here we go. All right, so Israel's about the size of New Jersey. It's not very big, all right? But they're coming from everywhere to hear the God-man, all right? And so uh, interestingly, this so happens to be the spot where we are talking. He's talking right now, right here in Tiberias, right there by the... That's the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake, right? So there he is. So he's saying people were coming to hear and see this man from Judea, which is kind of central Israel, Jerusalem, the hub, of course, the, the capital, right? And then he says from Idumea, which is another term for Edom, with the descendants of Esau settled in the way, way south here. So he's saying people way down here it, near Egypt were coming up to hear the Messiah. And then he's saying all points south. So that's all points south. And then he says all points east. From beyond the Jordan, the Jordan River separates Israel from Jordan. And it's the line, right? So on one side of the river, you're in Israel. On the other side, you're in Jordan. Uh, and so he's saying Perea probably is what he means by beyond the Jordan. So, so the Jordanians, the ancient progenitors of the Jordanians are, are coming up and over. And then he says, it's not just south and it's not just east. It was the north as well. And so he said, Tyre, and there's Tyre, because guess what? It's still there. You know why? Because when the Bible points out a city or a place, it's, it really exists. <laughs> Unlike other stories that we've heard, it's like, where is this? Oh, we don't actually know. Where are these cities? They're all in the Bible. There's thousands of names and dates and telephone numbers. I'm <laughs> just kidding. No, I got carried away. Uh, names and dates and customs and wars and leaders. It's verifiable truth. Anyway, Tyre and Sidon is a little north of Tyre. And Jesus went to all of these places physically except one, Idumea. He did not go down to Edom. Uh, but, every, but Edom's coming up to him, right? And so Tyre and Sidon, modern-day Lebanon. So <laughs> the Lebanese, the Jordanians, the Syrians, the Egyptians, as it were, these are people that bled into these lands. 
are coming to hear. Not some guy who said, hey, I've got a new philosophy on life. Or, hey, I've got 12 steps to a better you. No. He was going to tell you why you're here, who made you, what God's like, what heaven's like, how to avoid hell. Our hearts have, uh, thank you for the map, we'll go back to the text, a God-shaped void. And let me tell you what shape the God-shaped void is in. It's in the shape of a cross. It's not just a one-size-fits-all hole that you can fit any religion or any God in there. You can try it. It's like God created us for the true God. Yesterday, I'm at a wedding. You don't know them. They don't go to this church. Nobody knows where I was yesterday. And I, <laughs> I was at a wedding. And I was talking afterwards to just somebody who's not even close friends with the bride and groom. At cocktail hour. I had a lemonade. I don't, you know, whatever. He was drinking. Will now become a parent. Because uh, he says to me, oh, so you're a pastor? I believe in all religions. That's so good that we all have religions. And I said, well, actually, you know, <laughs> the Bible says, how do I put this to you? Uh, the Bible says there's one God and there's one way. And Jesus said, uh, uh, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can get to heaven but through him. And he said, you know, I think in the wisdom of God that he made all these religions for people. So I said, okay. You think God in wisdom made a false religion? And he said, well, not to them. And to them, it's not false. Yeah, but to God, it's false. So God's telling them to follow a false religion? Does that make sense? And he goes, well, no, not really. Uh, I, but I said, for example, uh, there's a cult that worships trees. And they gather around the trees, and they pray to the tree, and, 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 and they want the tree to heal them. Is that a true religion? And he said, no. I said, would you pray to a tree? Uh, no. Is, that, uh, is it true or false? False. But you think in God's wisdom, he told them to pray to the tree, even though it's wrong. He goes, okay, I need another drink. <laughs> He's really nice. He's really nice. <laughs> All right, so... Here's the deal. Everybody's coming because everybody's invited. So, you know, listen. This, the point of this is that there's no message like this anywhere, and everybody's ba battering down the doors, crossing international boundaries. Do you know what it meant to travel and give up your daily responsibilities in the ancient world to go see some guy in the, by a lake? It was a big deal, and I'll tell you why. When you look at a glimpse of heaven, here's what Revelation 7 says. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Christ. He's called the Lamb because he was the sacrifice, right? This is it, the message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is the message entrusted to us to take to the world, and the world's coming to us because they've never heard of anything like this before. You get everything for nothing. Call on the name of the Lord. Even me, just call on the name of the Lord. Yes. 
He says, how must I be saved? What should I do to be saved? And the answer came, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. How easy is that? That's a beautiful thing. And what I really like, one more thought before we look at the list of the guys here. He says in Revelation chapter 14, John's getting a glimpse of the end. The Bible says that on a day and an hour that nobody knows, the Lord will appear for his church to take her out of harm's way before the end comes. He says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed and the trumpet of God will sound and that we who are alive and remain are caught up. And after the church is out of harm's way, the Bible talks about in Revelation and in Daniel a seven-year period where the, where, where the earth unravels and God takes 21 judgments upon the world and the world comes to an end and Christ ushers in a kingdom, a kingdom where there is no more evil, you see? And so this, this is what he's saying. So during the last days, an angel flies. Listen to this. And it says, Then I saw an, another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, and proclaiming God's eternal gospel. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 says, an angel of God will, will preach the same gospel that we preach across the earth in every language for every nation, tribe, and tongue. The God 316, the John, the God 316, the John 316 message of God to the world. So that none would perish. But this is why the whole, it's the message for the whole world. We take it to the whole world, go into all the earth, right? And, and here you see that idea. This is it. There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other door out of here. This is it, the gospel. And so with that, he needs some help. It's just Jesus, he's been, he's been dealing with men, he's been calling them, they've been kind of in tow, you know, Peter, James, and John, they've been around, Matthew's been called, they're all around, and probably Jesus has given them heads up, hey, we're going to have an ordination day, just heads up, and he's praying, and he's going to make it official, right? So it's not like the movies, we can go to the next text here, it's not like in the movies where Jesus is calling his disciples, right? And so the music gets kind of funny, and he, and he calls them, and he says, Peter, and then there's a harp playing, and Peter looks off into the stars and wanders over. You know, these guys have met Jesus. They've heard Jesus. They've wrestled down their own problems. They've worked out practical things, but now they're going to have ordination day, and here it is for our consideration. Jesus went up on a mountainside. Luke's gospel says, and prayed all night, first. And he calls to him those he wanted. Listen to this. He calls those he wanted, and the Bible says he wants everyone. But, I mean, he has tasks for some, in this case. Those he wanted, and they came to him. He called, how simple. God calls, I want you to do this thing. And they came. Oh, so beautiful. 
He appointed 12, designated, and there's that ordination term, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. That was a real big problem. (laughs) These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, he's always first in every list. There are are three other lists in, in the New Testament. Simon, to whom he gave the nickname Peter or Rocky, or as it means rock, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, their brothers, right? To, to, to them, he gave a nickname, Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. <laughs> when Jesus gives you a nickname, man, it just, you know, says a lot, and we're going to see why. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew also goes by Nathaniel. These guys do this just to confuse the commentator. Matthew, who goes by Levi as well. Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, to distinguish him from Zebedee's boy. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. The Zealots was a political movement to overthrow Rome. And so he, even as a disciple, has kept his political affiliation. That may be the reason we don't hear one word about him. Not one, not one word. We'll talk about him in a second. And Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is his surname. And it means the city where he's from. That's what commentators say. Who betrayed him. Yes, we do know that. All right, here are the guys. Let's talk about them. Because uh, it's a beautiful thing to see God calling and them answering the call. So it's important to notice a few things here. Um, Leaders are conspiring to kill him. Uh, Crowds are stampeding to get to him. The gospel needs to go out, right? The church needs to be founded eventually. So Jesus needs men. He needs men and women, but he needs men in this case who he can raise up, entrust these truths to, and kind of uh, groom them to be the guys who will lay the foundation for the church. Now, the New Testament looks back on them and says about the apostles that they had this singular task of laying the foundation of the church. And the sole reason we do not technically have apostles today is because their task, as defined by the New Testament, to lay the foundation of the church that that foundation's been laid now for a couple thousand years. So we technically don't have a reason to have apostles because their task has been completed. Now, the word apostle means like a missionary to be sent. So yes, we have men and women who function as the apostles of old, but you cannot really technically call them apostles um, because you wouldn't be uh, biblically accurate. You can call them missionaries. But the other term for these 12 is actually the 12. They like to use them, the 12. We all know who you're talking about. And the other term is more wide, and we use it today of everyday Christians that God calls to himself disciples. He calls who he wants, which is many are called. I, I believe that he calls every human being to be a disciple. And the word disciple means learner. 
And these guys had a lot to learn, right? Because we look at their lives and and that was really the essence of hanging out with Jesus was learning about the truth of who uh, God is, what he requires, and who they are supposed to be and, and, and serve him and please him. So that's, uh, here are the 12. And, and, and what sticks out, before we talk about the guys, I just saw, like, what, what hit you? I mean, I read this, I think, for the first time, even though I've been reading it for 40 years. All right, check this out. He appoints the 12. He's going to designate them the sending ones because he's going to send them out. That they, here's the purpose why he called them to be apostles. Watch out. First reason that they might be with him. What? I thought it was chop, chop. We got a world that's lost and dying. We need you to get busy, man. What are you doing sitting around? Let's go. I'm, a, I'm giving you a job to do. It's called sent. Go. Come on, get busy. Preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Oh, no, 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 no. And this is what we all miss. When he calls somebody, he says, come to me. Come to me. The most important thing is not what you do, not your title, not your job, not even your gift or your calling for me. Don't get all excited and wrapped up in that. I'm an apostle. You know what? I'm calling you to be with me. To be with me in the morning, you wake up. Oh, I gotta get busy, 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 busy. And that we are so performance oriented people. We wanna do, 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 do. And he says, could you just stop doing? Because you don't have what you need to give if you don't first spend some time with me. Love on me, listen to me, open the word, take a walk with me. Get quiet with me. Jesus said, go in your closet and be with your Father in heaven. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then you'll have the strength to love others with the same fervor in which you love yourself. We always miss this. I just thought it was so cool. You know, I'm called to be with him to belong to God, to hang out and love on him and receive his love. You'll be a a lot better at whatever the thing he called you to do if you handle the first and primary purpose is to be with him. He says that they would be with him. He says, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, at the Last Supper, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Guess what it's all about? I'm going to prepare a place for you that you and me can be together. There it is again. What is this thing? He just loves us. He likes us. He wants to be around us. He wanted some friends. He don't want just servants. Here, come on over here. I've got stuff for you to do. First of all, Jesus is not from New York. <laughs> and I'm sorry I implied that. <laughs> I don't know. The bad guys always have a New York accent. I don't know why. The, the Pharisees always have a British accent. For I don't know why. Sorry. <laughs> Did I mention how much I love British people? I married one for crying out loud. 92%. She spit into that little tube. It came back 92% UK. It says she's more British than British people. (laughs) Unbelievable. If anyone has a clue where I was, just belt it out. All right, so... Let's go and talk about these guys. But call to God. Let's not overcomplicate this. 
with the, are you called? Are you chosen? You know, let's not complicate it. He calls, you pick up, done. All right? So, so he says, yeah, I chose you to choose me. Now, now, what does that mean? I don't know, but it means that we have free will. He has free will. He's calling, and I answer, right? Well, what if I can't answer because I'm dead in my sin, and, and he says he chose me? Well, then he knew beforehand if everything being equal, I would choose him. So he chose me. I couldn't choose him, so he chose me to choose him. What's hard about that? <laughs> this is easy. You could be sitting here going, what if I'm not chosen? I'll tell you how to fix it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ right now. Boom, chosen. How, how hard is that, right? He says there's somehow that God is in total control and we have free will and they work together and when we get to heaven you'll be able to do that kind of mathematical theological uh, trigonometry you will be able you'll go you'll you'll you're going to get in that new body and go of course that's how both neither and or all work together amen <laughs> let's talk about these guys all right we've got three sets of brothers i already talked to you a little bit about that. But the striking thing is that they're not Sunday school kids. You know, they didn't go to Bible college. In fact, we find out later they're uneducated. They didn't go to school at all. These are the guys that Jesus is entrusting when he is taken away, when he goes to be with the Father. He's entrusting these men with the truths to establish Christianity and the church on the earth. So I want you to remember that because that's an amazing thing that he would entrust these guys. They're just fishermen, four of them. One was a tax collector. We'll talk about each one. Just give him a shout out uh, real fast. Okay, so let's do that. Here we go. We start with Peter. In every list, Peter's always on top. And uh, he's just got the personality, and he's, some call him impulsive. I call him spontaneous because I'm impulsive as well, so I want to try to make it sound a little bit better. But Peter, if I were to take, and I'm only going to take a snapshot, if I had to take it all, he's the most talked about uh, disciple of them all. But if I were to take one thing that I love about this guy is one day on the boat, a storm is coming up, And he looks out. They all look out, and they see Jesus coming on the water. He's walking. They freak out, it says, that they think it's a spirit or his ghost. And they cry out in fear. And Peter gets this idea. He sees Jesus walking on the water, and Peter goes, that looks like fun. And so Peter goes like this. He yells out to the Lord, Lord, if that is you, and if you, the Lord, told me, to come to you, then I'd be able to walk on the water just like you. And Jesus is jazzed. Jesus, Jesus guy, I know he's smiling. Jesus is like, come. He says, come. And Peter's like, what? Okay. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he's like pressing down on the water, and it's not moving. He's not moving. He's not sinking. And so he gets out, and now he's standing on the water, and Oh, you know, he's got all this faith, and then something goes terribly wrong. He starts walking. He's like, 
halfway to Jesus, and Jesus is smiling, and here he is, and he just starts going, oh, I'm walking on water. <laughs> Was that a fish? You know, and, and, and then it all goes south from there. But oh, I like what Jesus always saves first, then the lecture, all right? But he saves first. He saves him, and he says, oh, come on. Why a little faith? Come on, man. Well, we look at that and go, that was ginormous faith, right? But that's just the kind of thing. And it was so hot and cold, Peter, just like us. You know, one minute he's saying, uh, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, whoa, how blessed are you? That wasn't even you talking. That was the Father speaking through you. And it goes from that to then Jesus turns to him and says, in the next chapter, <laughs> Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Peter, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm just telling you ahead of time. I'm going to get handed over to the bad guys. They're going to mock. They're going to crucify me. Don't worry. Three days later, I rise. God forbid. God forbid. And shaking Jesus. No, this isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you have only in mind, you're thinking like a man right now, and you're stumbling me. So in one chapter, he says, whoa, God's speaking through you. In the next chapter, you say, Peter, the devil's speaking through you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, do I ever relate to that kind of guy, you know, hot and cold like that. And so James and John, Peter, James, and John are the inner guys, probably the most potential for whatever reason. Jesus has them alone at the transfiguration, alone when the little girl is raised from the dead, just those three in the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him in his last hour. So what a team. Let's talk about James and John real quick. Uh, the Sons of Thunder, uh, this is probably where they get their nickname. It's not flattering. In Luke chapter 9, they had the 12 of them, had a mission, and they had a pass through Samaritan land and territory. And the Jews and the Samaritans were not on good terms. And the Jews would kind of persecute the Samaritans and the Samaritans, the Jews. So they're at the border crossing one day, but Samaria would really be a shortcut and save them a lot of miles. So the Samaritans say, hey, you're not coming through this time. We're all, you know, you're always making fun of us. We're not good enough. No, then you're not crossing through our property. Get out of here. Go around the long way. And then... James and John turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire on them? And Jesus says, no. <laughs> he says, like Oive, how long have I been with you guys? Do we have anything in common? Have you been listening to anything I've been saying? Who are you? What are you doing? Yeah, toast them. They won't let us go through, yeah. Hey, that's the message of the gospel. Good news. Let us through or we'll burn you up. <laughs> Crazy guys. James and John. Uh, John had a sweetheart. John was the one leaning on Jesus' chest. The Last Supper, just cuddling in there a little bit with the Son of God. Oh, 
That's awesome. Love that guy. Andrew, now, now these guys we don't know much about. Andrew was involved with the fish and the loaves of bread. You know, here's the kid's lunch. That was Andrew there. And uh, he led Peter, his brother, to Christ. Now, it's often said that sometimes our greatest accomplishments come through those we've impacted, not through our lives directly. Now, nobody knows this name, the name of the Sunday school teacher who led Billy Graham to the Lord. Nobody knows his name. Heaven knows his name. And we don't know much about Andrew. But guess what? Everything that Peter did positively can be pointed back to the prayers and the evangelization of his kid brother, Andrew. That's awesome. And then uh, there's Philip, who leads Nathaniel to the Lord. Philip's the one on the night Jesus was betrayed and the Lord at supper was saying, the father this, the father that, the father this. And then Peter pipes up, uh, Philip rather, Lord, show us the father. That, that's what we need right now. We're really panicked. We're, we're terrified about the things you're saying. Just show us this father and then that'll be enough. And he says, how long have I been with you? You don't recognize me? Philip, anybody who's seen me has seen the father. So that's a really nice way to re- be remembered. And, and uh, Bartholomew, who goes by Nathaniel, Philip leads him to the Lord. So it's a fun story. John 1, I'll tell it real quick. Philip finds Nathaniel. And he says, hey, come check out this man. We think he's the Messiah. What's his name? Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, Bartholomew, says... Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Ew, right? And then I love Philip's answer. Come and see. Come and check out for yourself. So there they go. They find Jesus. Jesus starts the conversation to Mr. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he sees the guy coming and he says, now there is one upright, upstanding citizen. There's a guy who's a true Jew with no deception. He's the real deal. This guy's the real deal, everybody. And he says, excuse me, Rabbi, <laughs> how do you know me? How did, did we meet somewhere down there? Because how do you know me? He says, oh, I, I saw you long before when you were sitting under the fig tree. Remember sitting under the fig tree before Philip came to tell you about me from Nazareth, who you don't, you know. <laughs> I saw you before Philip got a hold of you under the tree, Remember? He goes, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus laughs and says, really? Is that all it took? He says, oh, Nathaniel, you're going to see better stuff than that. You're going to see greater things than that. We haven't even got it started. And you're already bowing down saying son of God? Well, yeah, because in him was no deceit. And when you got a real deal heart and you hear the truth and God touches it, you don't play games. Because you don't have deception in there, right? So I really like that one. Matthew, is he next, right? Matthew, of course, was the wretch sitting there counting out the shekels and adding extortion to everybody's fees. And then God just came through in a couple times. So probably all it took was Jesus to talk to him in a sweet voice. And man, he got up and left his 
record keeping with all the shekels to, to, to record keep for a different cause called the Gospel of Matthew. That's pretty cool, Matthew. Thomas, poor guy, poor guy, because what do you, what's the first word you think of when you say Thomas? Right, that's so sad. Well, here's, here's what happened. Sunday, Jesus rose from the dead, and this first Christian service was Sunday night. And by the way, because Jesus rose on a Sunday, the church started meeting on the first day of the week. It went from the Jewish Sabbath to Sunday, the first day, the new creation, right? So the first Sunday night service, Thomas, for whatever reason, the only one missing because he's overwhelmed and he, he loved Jesus more than everybody else. And you, you know the stories, right? And so he's missing. Jesus shows up and speaks. It's a beautiful thing. And they're like, Thomas, you missed church. Jesus showed up. And, and he's like, you know what? Unless I see with my own eyes and I touch with this finger, I want to put it right there where the nails were. I want to feel for myself or I will not believe. So they said, dude, just come to church next Sunday night, okay? So next Sunday night, they have another service and they're all waiting and there Jesus shows up and he goes straight to Thomas and he says, Thomas, come on, come on over here. Take your view. Can you see? Look, let me show you. Show you here. See the scar here? Take your fingers. Put them in here. Come on. Don't be afraid. Touch right there. See my hands? Thomas, stop this. What are you doing? Stop doubting and believe. What are you doing this for? He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus doesn't say, hey, hey, hold on there. You know, you're exaggerating. He pronounces a blessing. For people who say, where does it say that Jesus says he's God? How about right there? My Lord and my God, no correction, but a blessing. My Lord and my God. And, and Jesus added this to him. He says, hey, you're blessed. You see and believe. But more blessed than you, Thomas, are those who didn't get the opportunity you just got, but they believe and love me anyway by faith. They're more blessed than you, Thomas. I want to just give Thomas a shout out. Too bad you don't remember John chapter 11. Jesus has just fled Jerusalem because they picked up stones to, to stone him. So while he's away, he gets word about Lazarus. And after four days, he says, okay, guys, let's go. We got a job to do in Jerusalem. The whole Bunch of them say, we can't go to Jerusalem. They'll kill us. They'll kill you. We just fled here. They're trying to kill you. Thomas pipes up and says, let's go with him and die with Jesus. Oh, everybody forgets that. And I'm going to just tell you about human nature. One slip at the end. People tend to forget all the good things. What about years of this and years of that? You can name a pastor. They did years and years and years and years of good things. And all you can think of is one thing. Or a president. Or, a, or an athlete. You don't remember the years of practice. You don't remember the gold thing. You don't remember any of the pazzarazzi. <laughs> you don't remember any of that. Because there's something about just doing something stupid. And even though God may still be able to, to retain 
all the good qualities. It is not worth becoming, branding yourself with some stupid thing. Doubting Thomas, you know? The whole world says doubting Thomas. Why? He didn't have to miss church that first Sunday night. He didn't have to. He could have been there. And because he wasn't there, he didn't get to see. And that started the whole doubting thing. So I just throw, I throw that out for free. All right. Thaddeus, or James, son of Alphaeus, some say he's influential with Matthew's conversion, his brother. Uh, Thaddeus is quiet, kind of steady Eddie guy. You know, uh, one commentator said, Thaddeus is the kind of guy you want on the team. No drama, you know, he's not, he doesn't talk a lot, but he's just there. You know, he doesn't get in people's way. He's just a servant, maybe a little introverted. Thaddeus, two thumbs up. One of my favorite ones is Simon the Zealot because he kept he's saying, I'm a zealot, all right? So he's on the team. And I'll tell you why it doesn't have one word about him in the Bible except Simon the Zealot, right? Because he had to take three and a half years. The zealots were like, overthrow Rome, stick a knife in their backs. Rome is terrible. We're going to, by our brute force, we're going to revolutionize the world from the outside. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God starts on the inside, Simon. And you've got to be a zealot. You're going to overturn the rebellion in your own heart. So it took him three and a half years to go from Simon the Zealot to Simon the Zealot who loves Christ, who loves his enemies, who turns the other cheek and goes the extra mile. That's why you don't hear anything. He's wrestling the whole time. That's my, my, my opinion. And then there's Judas. He ruined the name Judas. Perfectly good name. Nobody can use it anymore. <laughs> Unless you've got like a killer dog or, <laughs> or a python or you want to, you know, start a heavy metal band or something, you know, and you like the association, then it comes in handy. Um, you know, one professor said <laughs> to his student who asked the question uh, to a uh, theology guy, hey, I got a problem. Why did God... Uh, why did Jesus call Judas? And the professor said, I've got an even bigger problem and a better question. He says, when I think about this, I ask myself, why did Jesus call me? A nice way to try to think about it. Who's going to figure out Judas? How you can sit in the presence of God Almighty for three and a half years and see and hear what the crowds are stampeding over and somehow not pick up. The call was ringing the whole time, even to the last hours, Jesus saying, friend, friend, friend. The phone was ringing the whole time. He just never picked up. And I'll tell you what the bottom line was for him. I'll tell you what it is. I know what it is. It's money. It was money. He was the treasurer. He loved money. He loved money more than his soul and more than truth, more than anything. And John chapter 12 says he was the keeper of the funds and he used to help himself to the money. 
And, and not wanting to let go of that is why he couldn't pick up the phone. Because if he picked up the phone, if we go with the analogy, then it's no more <laughs> committing fraud and stealing money and embezzling. There's no more of that. So the reason a lot of people perish is because there's a darling sin that they won't repent of, right? That keeps them from true repentance, picking up the line, hearing the voice, and having the Holy Spirit come in and do a change. And I'm telling you, there'll be people who have perished, who have now perished, and who are there now perishing because they wouldn't budge on one sin, just one sin. That's what kept it. And that's why Jesus said, hey, if that one sin is like near and dear to you, like you can't live without it, like an eyeball, gouge the eyeball out. Because it'd be better for you to go to heaven missing an eye, whatever that part you had to cut out, than for your whole body, both eyes, to be plunged into hell. You know, whatever it is, get rid of it. Judas, if it's money, dude. Trade jobs. Give it to John. Let John be the money keeper, you know? But he just never wanted to do that. And so the encouraging thing about Judas is that Jesus, just to the bitter end, kept the door open. Hey, now somebody came up to me after first service and said, Judas really upsets me. I don't like to talk about Judas because I feel akin to him because I've done many. I've, I've committed Judas kisses a lot. And I said, so have I. So is every Christian. So is Peter. I swear to God, I don't know who that guy is. Peter. Cock a doodle doo. <laughs> Some of you look confused at, <laughs> at the Last Supper. <laughs> Jesus said, you're all going to desert me. Just so, heads up on this. And Peter stands up and says, excuse me. Even if all these losers here at the table, if they all desert you, not me. I'll be the only one standing. And Jesus says, let me tell you what you're actually going to do. Before a rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Not once, not twice, but three times. And then he's by the fire and he's warming himself by the fire in the courtyard. And Jesus has to pass through between trial one and trial two. And right when Jesus passing through, there's this little conversation. You're a Galilean, aren't you? No, I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I, excuse me, number two. You, I saw you with him. You were there. You were right standing next to the other guys, too. No, you're totally mistaken. I have no idea what you're talking about. Number three says, oh, I just heard you say that word that gave you your Galilean accent. You can't cover that up, man. You're a Galilean. He says, I swear to God, I don't know that man. And Jesus passing through. And it says, the rooster went off and Jesus turned his head and looked at Peter. That was a tough night for Peter. <laughs> <laughs> and he went out and wept bitterly. Listen, here's what I told the guy. Romans 8.1, bro. Romans 8.1, I kept saying it in his head because he looked upset. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Judas, kiss or not. You turn from those things. If you're in Christ, those sins are paid for. It is finished. It covers Judas kisses and all. If you have turned your life over to Christ, he says, nothing in all creation. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And there, um, Romans 8.1 is just the ticket for me. There's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ, period. And if you just need to see that over and over again every single day until the peace of God comes over you, and it will, because his word is powerful and it's true. Amen? So you've got the best thing here. Let's wrap up. One couple sentences here. God takes the weak things in the world. He takes the things that are just all messed up, and he says, I'm calling you to myself. If you're hanging out with me, I promise you're going to love the finished product. Hang in there. Be patient. Have some courage. God is working with you. But when you awake in the presence of God, you will awake in his likeness. You shall see him as he is, and you will reflect that 100%. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is disconcerting in our hearts to identify with wickedness. And we all know the closer we get to you, the more we know our wicked hearts. It's unsettling, God, because (laughs) there but the grace of God go all of us, Lord. So convince us again of your promises that are true, that as we turn from our sins and confess them to you, you're faithful and just. And God, you're just, you showed so much long-suffering with those guys. None of them had it together. And we don't have it together. But you have it together. And you take responsibility for us because we belong to you. So we thank you. We commit ourselves to your care. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.